0: Good morning everybody. Great morning. to be with you. It's a real privilege. What Simon didn't tell you was that God spoke to him in the shower. So, I'd like you just to wipe out any images you have now of Simon in the shower. But it is a place where God does speak, isn't it? Anybody else find that I found God speaks to me early in the morning in the shower. And then the bath, well that is the place to soak. That's the place to marinate. Um, but the shower, that's where God really does speak sometimes, wonderfully. It's a privilege, such a privilege. My wife and I come to the 9.30 meeting normally, so I, I've never been here to uh, an 11.30, so it's really lovely. I've be meeting quite a lot of you for the very first time. I just wanted to say, too, that uh, in coming to the church, we joined the Belong Group uh, pretty quickly on a Monday evening, and uh, that has been the best way to integrate into the church because it is all it is actually quite challenging to join a big church especially on three sites um, when you don't know many people we were fortunate in having family here but the belong group really did help so if you've come recently or if you've never actually linked into a group belong is a great place to start it's open all all the year round some groups can't do that they close but belong is always open And we've just been so blessed by that. So I really want to commend that uh, to you. This morning, we're continuing what we started last week in our series in Treasure Principles. And I'm going to dare to suggest that the Treasure Principle today is the most important one of all for your Christian life. A big claim, I know. But I think by the end of the meeting, you will uh, agree with me. Um, Just to say this, that Listen, I, as we say, as, as Simon said, relocated in, in, in June from Norfolk, and as we drove into Bedford, we were able to read the sign that you've all read, uh, Welcome to Bedford, John Bunyan Country. So it's very difficult not to realise that John Bunyan's a big figure in the history of, of Bedford, so there's a statue, there's a museum, there's a Bunyan Trail, and uh, even Weatherspoons is called The The Pilgrim's Progress, after, of course, his famous, famous book. And yet this was a man who actually spent 12 years in jail in Bedford. This is the famous guy in Bedford. He spent 12 years in jail. Why did he do that? Well, for much of John Bunyan's life, it was illegal to meet like this for worship. It really was. The law of the land dictated that you had to worship in the state church and nowhere else. It was illegal otherwise. Church of England. Um, And so uh, if this was 1660, uh, those doors at the back would be locked. Uh, This would be a secret meeting. But at any moment, the doors could come crashing open and a magistrate come striding down the aisle with armed guards and arrest me and take me to prison for preaching the gospel. And you wouldn't get off lightly, so don't you look smug. Okay, because you would be fined heavily. Some of your property would be confiscated. And actually, most of the congregation in 1660 were poor anyway. And so it was a very serious thing. You know, in this country, we are so blessed to have freedom of worship. In many nations, still, it is like it was in 1660 here, only without the state worship. Okay, so John Bunyan was arrested 12 miles away from here, preaching in a field to a bunch of Christians. And he was put away for 12 years. And at any time, uh, in his early stages, he could have been released. But he said, If you release me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach the gospel again. So they kept him in prison. And prisons in the 17th century uh, were pretty grim. They were dark, they were dirty. They were insanitary. They were overcrowded. There was no heating. So in winter, can you imagine the kind of last few weeks in winter? It was it was pretty bad. There was no beds to sleep on. You slept on the stone floor uh, with straw. Uh, the diet was very poor. You had to try and get a supplement. Your family or friends tried to supplement your diet, and it was not unusual for prisoners serving a sentence to die in prison. And for some of this time, John Bunyan, 12 years, for some of this time, he had the threat uh, of deportation hanging over him, because a lot of Christians, church leaders and and preachers, were deported to the Americas to work on plantations. And actually, for some time, John Bunyan was even accused of treason, and he had the gallows overshadow him. And so, Those of you who've read anything about John Bunyan will know that in his early life, he had real mental health issues. If you read Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, it's a harrowing read because he admits very openly the agonies of mind he went through as a a young man and as a young Christian. And you would say, wouldn't you, prison, John Bunyan, is going to finish you off. It's going to be the death of you, John. You're not going to survive this. And yet, it was the exact opposite. In prison, he drew closer to Jesus and knew Jesus more richly than he'd ever known before. He soaked himself in the Bible, soaked himself in Scripture, so that he could write this, and I quote, Jesus Christ was never more real or apparent than now. Here, I have seen him and felt him. In that prison, in that grim 17th century prison in Bedford, Jesus, he found, was all he needed. Jesus was enough for every, every circumstance. And that, my friend, is the treasure principle this morning. And that is the theme of our passage this morning. You know, John Bunyan and the Apostle Paul had a lot in common. They were very different characters and lived centuries apart, but their their lives were both transformed by Jesus. They both were put in prison for preaching and they both affected generations by their prison writings. So for Bunyan, it was of course the pilgrim's progress, but for the apostle Paul, uh, several of his epistles were written from prison. We think Rome, at least four of them including uh, Philippians, and it's chapter four of Philippians that we're dipping into for this treasure principle uh, today, and it's it's uh, it's a wonderful little passage. Paul is thanking the Philippians for a gift that they've sent. Uh, it's a very warm letter. His relationship with the Philippian church is probably the warmest of all the all his church relationships. They've supported his apostolic ministry from day one. Um, for a little while there's been a separation because he's been in prison and they've had no opportunity to to, to link up with him. But that that is not the case anymore. So verse 10 of chapter 4 of Philippians, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned And then leaping to verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What a stomping passage that is. Isn't that wonderful? So Paul is grateful for the Philippians, for their partnership and and what what the the gift represents. But listen, he wants them to know that he already has everything he really needs needs. And he makes this big claim, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's that's some claim, isn't it? Who doesn't want to know the secret of contentment? I mean, that is a wonder. I mean, people would line up if you were selling that, wouldn't they? They'd pay big money for the secret of of contentment. Uh, But it's such an extraordinary claim that we need to Ask a few questions about it. Sometimes, you know, you need to interrogate a a, a text, uh, like line of duty or something like that. You need to sit down the apostle Paul across the table and ask him a few searching questions. And so that's what I'm going to do with you this morning because God wants to speak to us today about this treasure principle that he's discovered. So the first question is, Paul, what do you mean by contentment? What do you mean by contentment? Back in the first century, the Greek philosophers discussed the secret of contentment when they were discussing the secret of happiness. But I don't honestly think personal happiness was very high on the Apostle Paul's agenda. When it comes to today, if you look up an English thesaurus, which gives you synonyms, if you look up contentment, it will come up with these kind of words. It will come up with words like comfort, satisfaction, complacency, pleasure, and ease. Is that really what Paul means? Does he really mean he's learned the secret of complacency? I don't think so, do you? I don't think so. In fact, that, that kind of language conjures up pictures of a of a cat curled up in front of a roaring fire. That that's contentment in in terms of the English. A thesaurus. But, but that's not Paul. He's a man on a mission. He's not a passenger on a luxury liner, is he? He's the captain of a battleship. He's on the bridge. So, that's not what he means. So, Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean by contentment? And uh, the word he uses is autarches, a Greek word, which according to the lexicon, describes a condition in which you are strong enough or possess enough to need no aid or support. Paul is saying, I've already got more than enough for all that I need. I've already discovered it. I've got a secret resource. (laughs) and I'm okay, thank you, whatever the situation. The secret of contentment. But that's not enough for us. We've got to ask him another question. Paul what is the secret of contentment? How come, how come that you've got more than enough in every situation? And of course the answer is in verse verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There's no doubt who he means, he means Jesus. You know, um, the Amplified Bible is quite an interesting translation because it's three times fatter than any other translation of the Bible because every verse is unpacked in a very, very <laughs> exuberant way. This verse, verse 13, is translated so brilliantly by the Amplified that I want, you, I want you to hear it. Instead of, I can do all things through Christ or through him who gives me strength, it says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength. Do you like that? If you like that, then we're going to say it all out together. Right, with real power, okay? Let's say it all together now. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength. Wow, let's give him an applause. (laughs) So, his secret of contentment is this Christ's total sufficiency. Christ's total sufficiency. I mean, that is some secret because Paul is in prison, he's got very few comforts, got very few possessions, and he says, Jesus is enough, Christ is sufficient. When everything is stripped away, Jesus is. More than enough. He's enough for all my needs. Jesus Himself is my treasure. And that's the treasure principle, folks, and you can't beat it. That's why I said at the beginning, this is the most important treasure principle of them all. And I don't think anybody in the front row is going to disagree with me there. Okay? Jesus Himself is our greatest treasure. It is true that other things can satisfy us temporarily. It is true that God gives us precious people, family, friends, who are able to meet so many of our needs, and we're, we're thrilled, we're grateful to them. I've got a lovely wife who might even be watching this right now, so i promised to blow her a kiss. <laughs> so 50 years and, uh, of wonderful marriage, but Jesus is still the one I really need, and that's true for you as well, because Jesus is our real treasure. But third question, Paul, come on, Paul, how did you learn this secret? I mean, What was the book? Can you show me the book? Can you tell me what course I need to go on, on here? Um, and Paul says, no, you learn the secret on the road. You learn it on the road with Jesus. And this is where he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The actual word he uses is learning by experience. Paul had learned this through the highs and the lows of his life. And there'd be many. There'd be many highs. Do you realize that Paul and his apostolic teams, in the short space of 10 years, planted and established churches in strategic cities of four provinces of the mighty Roman Empire? 10 years, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, that was an impossible task, but he did it. He'd seen signs and wonders, healings, deliverance, individuals come to faith, whole families come to faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, in Philippi, a mighty earthquake that had released him from jail. In Ephesus, people coming out of the houses, burning their occult materials in the street publicly. He had some highs, hadn't he? You know, he'd seen God at work. He was able to say, wow, I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. Ephesus, a center of the, of, of the demonic, and that's what he'd seen right in the heart of that city. No wonder they threw him into prison but he'd had his lows as well, and he'd learned again this great treasure secret in the lows. He'd had rejection, opposition, insults, beatings, stonings, several imprisonments, and now he's in prison again, and he writes to the Philippians, and he says, yeah, but Jesus is still enough. I'm still content. Whatever my circumstances, whether I'm in prison or not, Jesus is enough. When I'm not enough, Jesus is more than enough. But Paul, we've got one more question for you. It's very nice to hear that Jesus is all in all for you. We're very pleased for you, Paul. But what about us? What about me? Paul, is this secret available for everyone? Or is it just Bible heroes? Is it just spiritual giants? And the answer couldn't be clearer. And verse 19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is assuring the Philippian believers and us too, the church in Bedford, that we can trust in Christ's total sufficiency. Jesus is more than enough for everything that we can face. Uh, and it says, God will meet all our needs. It's a cast-iron promise. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that he meets and guarantees all our wants, nor everything we think we need. There have been lots of times in my life and probably in yours as well, where you thought there was something that you needed more than anything, but God has said, no, actually, that isn't your real need. This is your real need. This is the deepest need. And this deepest need will actually overflow into all the other things that you really think are more important. Do you remember what Jesus said? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So this morning you come with all your different needs. There are lots of needs represented here this morning. And just, just know Jesus has said this and he says it to you again this morning. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He does, he knows what you really need. The necessities, he knows what you really need and he will supply what you really need according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Everything valuable, everything precious, everything worthwhile is found in Jesus. He's our greatest treasure. It's the treasure principle above all others. And please note something In the text, God doesn't simply say he will meet our needs from these glorious riches, but according to. If somebody from the rich list, let's say Bill Gates, was to come up to you and promise you a gift from his great riches, it could be as little as a £10 note. But if he offers you something according to his great riches, the sky is the limit, folks. You can write off your mortgage tomorrow because it will be a massive gift if it's according to his riches. And this is the promise here. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And how do we learn this? Again, it's by experience. It's on the road I'm sorry, folks, there are no shortcuts. It's on the road with Jesus, in the highs and the lows. And you already know that. Most of you who've walked with Jesus for any length of time will know that actually, in my experience, many of the, the deepest lessons I've learned have been in the lows. Uh, haven't been pleasant, but I've, I've grown closer to Jesus I've known more about what he wants for my life. I've even grown closer to my wife through some of the lows. And and that is the experience of many people. And he's never failed me. And Paul, he heard this promise from Jesus when he was going through a tough time and he was asking God, please take this away, take this away. I don't like this thorn in my flesh. And God says, yeah, um, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Imagine that perfect in weakness. You can be more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. But I love to also think about the highs. I want you to think back to some of the highs, some of the times in your life when the odds were stacked against you and you smashed it. When everything seemed to be just so, so difficult, when you're up against it and yet the, you, you really, you found the victory of Jesus and the only explanation could be, that Jesus was sufficient when you weren't. And you did it because Christ was the one who gave you you strength. I think actually <coughs> it's a lesson the Holy Spirit likes to teach you early in the Christian life. And he, he certainly did that with me. I've got a whole host of stories I could tell you. I want to tell you one because one of the things the Holy Spirit did in my life very early on was, um, was, was if you like, trap me trapped me in a position where I had no other inter- opportunity but to trust Jesus because I was completely out of my league and I had to trust that Jesus would, would be all sufficient. And so the, I'll tell you the story of the first time I ever preached. I was, I was a brand new shiny Christian in all squeaky clean and, and, and brushed up and, uh, and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, right, I need to teach John something and uh, this is going to change his life. So I was part of a youth group in Newcastle, Tyne. I had a lovely pastor called David Hurd, who died suddenly at the age of 40. He was a wonderful influence on my life. Came to faith at the age of 18. And um, I think I was about 19. And we, were, we, we had a youth group, uh, about 30 strong youth group at that time. And he gathered us all together one Sunday. And he said, next Sunday evening, we're all going to go out on the streets And we're going to gather in all the young people. We're going to go into Heaton and Biker in Newcastle. We're going to gather as many kids in as we can. And we're going to have a coffee bar. In the 60s, folks, Christian coffee bars were the big thing. And uh, we're going to to preach the gospel. But he said, I need two volunteers. I need a volunteer to give a testimony and one to, to preach the gospel. And so, who's going to give a testimony? Angela put her hand up. I'll give my story. I'll tell my story. Who's going to preach the gospel? Silence. Total silence. Everybody looks at their, at their shoelaces. And then, little by little, everybody's head turns to me and looks at me in amazement because my hand has gone up. I, I still don't know who put my hand up. It certainly wasn't me. <laughs> Because I tell you, I I was a scaredy cat. I was a back row boy. I wouldn't say boo to a goose. I was basically, you know, I kept out of the limelight. I'd never done any public speaking. To be honest, in my teens, I had a big problem with blushing. And so, you know, the thought of of standing up in public was was horrendous. Anyway, it was a done deal. I'd put my hand up, what could I do? David Heard thanked me very much and said, right, next Sunday. That was, the, that was a terrible week. Dreaded, I dreaded. Every day woke up thinking about next Sunday. And uh, uh, at the time, I was working in the city in Newcastle for a, a firm of solicitors. And I'd already made it my custom at lunchtimes to memorise scripture. And uh, as a young Christian, I thought it was a great thing to do. And it was a great thing to do. You know, getting the seed of God's word into your mind and your heart. So every, every lunchtime, I had my little pack of navigators, cards, uh, that where you re- you re- you know recited the text and you memorised it. And one of the big texts that I learned in those early days was Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Boy, did I live with that verse that week? Uh, every day, it wasn't just, you know, I was grasping hold of that. This has got to be true. Jesus, you've got to be up for it because I'm out of my league. I'm out of my depth. I'm going to drown here if you don't turn up. I don't know how I'm going to cope with this. So Sunday evening came. The dreaded Sunday came. We went out on the streets and we gathered over 80 young people all crowded into this small room. And uh, in due course, Angela got up and gave her, her her testimony and it was mayhem. It was absolute mayhem. There was all sorts of noise. There was stuff flying around. It really was a difficult, difficult situation. And uh, as I was, I was, I'm ready to go on next, you see, I'm on next. And so, uh, but the interesting thing was that rather than be more scared, I, I, I indignation rose up in me. I'd like to think it was holy anger, um, but it gave the opportunity for the spirit to put a boldness into me. Anyway, I stood up and my first few words were drowned, but I realised something. I realised that the troublemakers were in the far right-hand corner of the room around a table. Do you find that in the far right-hand corner? Do you find that every Sunday morning? I'm sure we don't. Anyway, that's where they were. And, um, and so I realized they were orchestrating all the, all the trouble. And so I, I directed my message to them, and I said, and this is for you in particular. And everybody went quiet, because they knew what I didn't know, that those guys were the tough guys in the neighborhood. Anyway, I kept preaching and preaching. And I caught my pastor's eye, and he caught my eye, and he just went like that. Keep going, John. And as far as I could, I did. And uh, at the end of the evening, and even now when I look back, I don't know what effect that message had on anybody else there. But boy, did it have an effect on me. I learned that night I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was out of my depth. Folks, when you are out of your depth, you give the opportunity for Jesus to prove himself, that he's enough. When you're not enough, he is more than enough. And that was life-changing because my pastor six months later said, John, that night I knew what you would be doing for the rest of your life. I was 19, I'm 75 now. I've been preaching ever since. It was literally life-changing. It is life-changing to trust Jesus. It is life-changing to come to that point where you realise he is enough. When you are weak, he is strong. When you are poor, he is treasure, pure treasure. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you to open eyes and hearts and ears to this wonderful truth that you, Jesus, are all that we need. All that we need is found in you. Jesus, you are all that we need. You are treasure, pure treasure. From you comes the riches of kindness. From you come the riches of wisdom and knowledge. From you, the boundless riches of Christ, the incomparable riches of your grace. Oh God, open our eyes and hearts. May we live, may each of us live this week in the knowledge that we do have treasure we do have Jesus himself, who is more than enough for every need. And Holy Spirit, this week, from this moment, open this treasure chest that is Jesus, to meet needs here. You know our real needs. Just as we're, as we're in this position, I want to tell you, I, I once preached at a wedding, from John 2 about the miracle at Cana of Galilee. And I said, miracles happen when Jesus is invited and he's here now. And I invited people where they sat just to trust him for their particular need at that time. And then I proceeded. And I had a letter a few months later from a lady who had sat there that morning already having had diagnosed a brain tumour a few weeks later, she saw her surgeon after, after further, further tests in preparation for surgery. And the surgeon said, there's no sign of the tumor anymore. It's gone. And she knew because faith had kicked in in that meeting. Faith had kicked in. Jesus is here. He is more than enough. He is the answer to my deepest need. He can do it. And in that moment, she trusted him for her need. Will you do that now? Whatever your need is, ask him, what's my real need, Lord? And meet it from the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Do it, Lord, in his beautiful name. Amen.